Here Joey said, at least it wasn't Jesus' genealogy. Uh, the, uh, the sermon series I have been preaching through is on the Apostles' Creed. So we have made it up to speaking of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection today. And uh, as, we, as we talk about that, I want, to, uh, I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians as well. It's really remarkable how much of Scripture focuses on the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, all of the Gospels, the, the Gospels all have, have different stories of Christ's miracles. Uh, they capture different pictures of Jesus' teachings. But all of them spend a substantial amount of time on Jesus' last days. Uh, his last meal with His disciples, His time in the garden, uh, His time before Pilate and Caiaphas, uh, and ultimately His crucifixion receive a great deal of attention. Uh, and then in the teaching of the apostles as well, uh, the crucifixion is the same. This is how Paul begins his letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to skip down to chapter 2 as well. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made, the, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. This too is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Let the church say, Amen. If you want to know the kind of God that Christians serve, that Christians worship, that Christians proclaim as we speak about the gospel, you need only look at the cross. This is a hard thing to do to look at Christ on the cross, to refuse to let your eyes be pulled away, to look at something more pleasant, something a little more distracting, or at least less painful. Today it's almost certain that if you turn on the TV to live television, you will see some image of the Twin Towers as they stood there, or as the planes crashed in, or as they fell. And it's easier 
to look away. It's easier to not see those kinds of images. Jesus on the cross, if we know who he is, breaks our heart. It breaks our heart to see Jesus on the cross. As, as Protestants, we have, we have cleaned up crosses. We have nice gold ones here, right? They look, they look very pretty. It's easy to see how we could describe the cross as something beautiful, as something glorious, as something wonderful. And it's a good thing. It's an intentional decision that Christ is not on the cross in our churches. He doesn't stay there. He goes to the grave and He ascends into heaven. Christ does not stay on the cross. But if we want to know our God, we should look at the cross with Christ on it. Jesus on the cross, if we know who He is, breaks our heart. There are people in the world who have trouble believing in the virgin birth. They have trouble understanding the biology of it all. But I want to propose to you today that if you know who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, that He is the eternal Son of God, that what happens on the cross is as unbelievable a miracle as His birth. If it's hard to believe that the God of the universe could be contracted to a span to the size of an infant, it is just as hard to imagine that the one who made all things, the one who sustains all things, the one in whom all things hold together could die. It's a grand miracle, the crucifixion of Jesus. And one of the things that I lament about the way that the, the, the Methodist church uh, calendar shapes our worship is that we don't spend enough time on the cross. Sure, I hope that in all of my sermons the, the cross is right there as I preach, but we don't spend as much time as we would like in the passages that describe the crucifixion of Jesus. It's easier, it turns out, to celebrate Easter than it is to stick with the cross. Good Friday is a much darker day than Easter Sunday. And it's more than just the injustice of it all, that there is a, a righteous man who has done no wrong, who has broken no laws, who's executed in a conspiracy between the state and the religious leaders to get rid of, to get rid of him, along with the whole crowd. Everyone wants him gone, and no one has a legitimate reason, and that is heartbreaking. But it's more than just that. We, we see on, on September 11th, we saw the injustice of it all. Those who were on the planes, those who were, who were at their desks, those who, who did nothing to ask for what happened that day, who perished, we feel the weight of that. Everybody who died on September 11th, we, we see the injustice of it all. But in the first responders, in those who were in the building and could have gotten out but took time to get others out instead to the danger of their own lives, we see something else. We see love. Not just injustice, but love. God could and has shown His other attributes to the world in other ways. 
He has shown his power and his wrath to Pharaoh as he, as he sent the plagues upon Pharaoh to, to liberate his people. He's shown his glory and his beauty through the goodness of creation, through his grace to a people that he set apart and providing them a land and leaders and a law. He's shown his righteousness through the law that he gave to Moses. He's shown his holiness as they have provided sacrifices in the temple year after year. He's shown them all of these things. But if we want to know the love of God, if you want to know God's love, you've got to look at Jesus on the cross. We can see his love nowhere more clearly than Jesus crucified. The man who who made all of the world in the flesh, in our very presence, as people walk by and they say, he said he could tear down the temple and raise it up in three days. He can't even get off the cross. And others walk by and they said, he saved others, he healed others, he, he, he made them well, and he can't make himself well. They cannot see it. You can't see it with just a glance. You have to keep looking. Clearly, Jesus on the cross couldn't be the king of the Jews. That's the irony of the sign, right? That that they, they post his charge over his head that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And this is what happens to those who claim to be king. The sign is intended to mock Jesus. And instead, it proclaims exactly who he is. It's supposed to be an indictment, and instead it is a testimony of who Christ is right there on the cross, provided by the very people who are executing him, the king of the Jews. And as all of the women look on, as they see what happens as Jesus himself dies, and the death The death is literally excruciating. That's where that that word comes from, if you didn't know that. Ex, out of, and then that word cruciating, C-R-U-C, is the same word for like crucifix or cruciform. It's the root for cross. The word that we have for terrible suffering, the way that we imagine terrible suffering in English as we receive it from Greek and Latin is excruciating the kind of suffering that one might experience on the cross. When I was a child, I thought that Jesus would have died from just the, the nails in his hands and his feet, but it's, it's worse than that. That's just the, the start of the pain of all of it. You see, when you, when you hang someone up and, and stretch them out, they can only breathe for so long. They start to grow tired and they start to sink down. As they sink down, they they can't breathe. So then they have to push on their feet or hold with their hands themselves up to breathe. And so it goes for hours. Pain to breathe, pain not to breathe. And that, if that is our salvation, it certainly sounds like foolishness to those who don't believe. But as we look longer, at the cross. As we behold Jesus, 
The very Son of God made flesh who has come to save us, to show us the righteousness and the glory and the love and the grace of God. We begin to see something else. We begin to see His love. We see the irony of the sign that hangs over His head and and in His love we begin to see other things too. We begin to see His glory. We begin to see his power. We begin to see his honor. We begin to see the very judgment of God that becomes the very grace of God for us in Christ's righteousness and holiness. Paul says that uh, the Jews desire signs. They want to see some proof that, that Jesus is capable. This is why as they walk by, they say, if he was really who he says he is, he would come down from the cross. Maybe Elijah will come to save him as they misunderstood that he was quoting their own scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They hear in that that maybe Elijah is coming. The Jews desire signs The Greeks desire wisdom. Convince us by an excellent argument of how Jesus could be Lord if he has died. And Paul says, I don't have any of that for you. All I have is the simplicity of the message and the power of the Spirit to tell you that Christ has been crucified and in that we find salvation. And that is what the centurion sees as well as he looks at Jesus on the cross. He's the one who can't look away as they gamble for his clothes, as they do all of the other things. He is there at the base of the cross, watching Jesus' suffering. And at the end of it all, he confesses himself. Surely this one is the Son of God. There are saints in the church's history that that, that have, have been said to have focused on the cross of Jesus, Jesus on the cross so thoroughly and begun to identify with him so thoroughly that they, they developed the wounds of Jesus in their hands and in their side. Not just the scars, but the wounds. As they have looked at Jesus and become like him. As we look at Jesus on the cross, we see the very character of God. We begin to see the power and the love of God revealed to us. But in that, there's also a conviction of who we are. When we behold Christ on the cross, we begin to have to reckon with who we really are. That the one who came to bring us the best wine, the most delicious wine at a wedding, we give to him galled wine, sour wine. The one who came to bring us blessing, we respond to with curses and mockery. The one who came with good news, we respond with taunting. The one who came to bring salvation and life, we respond to with execution. You see, we're not the first responders in this story. We're not the ones who conspire or who who work to save the others. We are the ones in desperate need of salvation who've joined together in conspiring to kill an innocent man. And yet there's a way through. The way through is the way of the cross. But only if we don't look away. Only if we refuse to get distracted or pulled away by easier things, the 
NFL starts today. You can go home and watch football all day if you like. There is a Lord who made all things, who loves you enough to step down from heaven and to take on flesh and to go all the way to the cross as you ridicule Him and mock Him and reject Him and offer Him the worst things as He offers you the best. And if you can look at that, for just a little while, or the rest of your whole life, you might find in that all that you need to know about God and all that you need to know about who you are and how God can make you into the sort of person who loves like Jesus, the one who was crucified, the one who really died, the one who... A man had enough courage, though he was on the council and among all of the religious leaders, to go to Pilate and say, I want to bury him. He deserves a good, faithful burial. Not to remain on the cross for everyone to walk by in shame and to see his body. He was crucified and dead and buried. And he is the Lord of all. You pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that we might fix our attention on You on the cross. It is not the whole story. The story includes Your ministry, it includes Your healing, it includes Your miracles to feed and to calm storms. It includes Your love and Your teaching. Your crucifixion for sure and Your death and burial. It includes Your resurrection and ascension. Let us not move too quickly past the cost of you who paid it all. Of you who've gone to every length. Of you who, as you spread your arms for us, say, this is how much I love you. Even as we reject you and taunt you and mock you. Even as we've already subjected you to suffering, your love remains steadfast. Transform our hearts, O Lord, by your love that we might love like you. God's people said, Amen.